have to confess that when I prepare my homilies, I like to read, to read the three readings early in the week, to pray with them, and to ask to the Lord, Lord, what is it that you want to say to your people, to the students or to the people at San Anz, or if I have to celebrate in Spanish? And I usually come up with one idea, might, might be from the Lord, maybe from, from my own making or a mix, but usually I know I want to preach about this. It didn't happen to me this week. So I will, do, I will give you three homilies instead of one, three little homilies, because I couldn't come up with one idea that would connect these three readings, but at the same time, the three readings are amazing. They're very good. So I decided to comment briefly on the three readings, and you pick and choose whatever is useful for you. So the first one is the very beginnings of the church. It's beautiful, and it's depicted in this reading. Paul and Barnabas were circling back from their missionary campaign, and they were about to return to Antioch from where they had been sent. And they want to make sure, as they are getting prepared to return, that the churches that they planted would grow. So what do they do? First, they strengthen the spirit of the disciples. We read that. And how? How do they strengthen the spirit of the disciples? They exhort them to persevere. To exhort is to, you know, to move someone to do some, something, right? So they exhort them to persevere, explaining to them, and I quote, it is necessary for us to undergo many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So these people were recent converts, but they already knew through Paul and Barnabas that struggle and suffering are not always bad. And that in fact, when accepted with faith and trust, it can be a tool through which God works in us, through which God purifies us and prepares us for the kingdom. So they were not sure coding the message to, to them. They were saying, Persevere, be strong. You, you will have to suffer, but that is in God's hands, in God's plan. Through that suffering, you will enter into the kingdom. So, as if they were saying to them and to us today, expect struggle, expect battle, expect some hardships. The Lord will be with you. All is good if you surrender, if you trust. And I think this message is also good for us. So they strengthen the disciples. Then they appoint elders. They appoint presbyters. That's another word that you can find in the Bible. And we see at the very beginning of the church already a structure. Paul, an apostle, we would say a bishop today, appoint priests to lead the community. I think it's important because last Sunday, Father Joseph was reflecting on the gift of priesthood through which we receive leadership and sacramental nourishment in the church. And we see it in this reading at the very beginning already functioning in a sacramental and hierarchical way. They were founding these churches and they were leading, leaving uh, these presbyters to lead those communities and to be able to celebrate the Eucharist for them. And then they prayed and they fasted for them before you know, leaving. So they instituted them and then they prayed and they fasted. They interceded for them, which 
tells us that they really care about it. They really care for them. You know, when you really care for someone, if you're a believer, of course, you pray for that person or for that situation. But if you really, really care, you also fast. You do something, you offer something to show God how committed you are with your prayer, right? Seems like praying is not enough. You want to do something about it. You want to offer a little sacrifice. You want to commit yourself with what you're praying. And this is what Paul and Barnabas did. They prayed, they fasted for these people, for these communities, so that they would grow. And finally, after securing the communities, they arrive at Antioch and share with the bigger community, with the church, what God has done with them, says the reading. So not their own accomplishments, but what God had done through them and how he literally opened the door of faith to the pagans. What an expression that we listen to. God opened the door of faith to the pagans. The door of faith was closed to the pagans because they ignored the revelation of God in Israel. They ignored all that we know. But through the missionary work of Paul and the first Christians, this door that was closed was open for them. And so pagans, not only Jewish, pagans could enter into the family room, so to say, where sons and daughters were gathered around Jesus. The door of faith was open to everyone through them. Okay, so this is the beginnings. I, th I think it's beautiful. Church were planted, people were drawn to Christianity, the light was shining amid persecutions and struggles. And, you know, it was a small community, but it was growing. In the second reading, second homily, we jump to the end. It's the revelation, it's the vision that John had of the final victory of the Lamb. He saw a new heaven, a new earth, a holy city coming down from God. That will happen at the end. So we go from the beginning of the church to the end. In that holy city, God dwells with his people and wipes away every tear from their eyes, Ajak just read. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What an expression again. God himself wiping out our tears. Has anyone wiped away your tears? When you, maybe when you were little, maybe your mom. I was in a barbecue last night, and this mom was wiping away literally this little boy's tears and also blowing his nose. You know, that's some, it's very intimate to wipe away the tears of someone. So God will do that for us. That's how close he will be for, for us, how near he will be for us. And there will be no sadness, no more death, no more mourning, wailing, or pain. An older order passed away. And then something amazing happened, if you paid attention to a second reading. For the first time in the book of Revelation, God speaks. To this point, it was always the angel speaking to John. But now God says, behold, I make all things new. I make everything new. So everything that, as we know it, made new. Our world, our loved ones, our pleasures, our joys, 
our uniqueness, our connections, everything that we know of this world, yet made new, so different, better, unstained, unperishable. And I was thinking about this and I remembered, I don't know if you read the Chronicles of Narnia, I really recommend it. And in the last book, it's called The Last Battle, there's this scene where a unicorn speaks and he's watching this new creation that unfolds before their eyes and he says, the difference between the old Narnia and the new Narnia was like this. The new one was a deeper country. Every rock and every flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. I can't describe it any better than this. If you ever get there, you will know it, what, what I mean. It was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. And the unicorn says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. The reason why we love the old Narnia is that it sometimes looked a little like this. Come further up, come further in. The reason why we like the love, the old Narnia, because sometimes we had a glimpse of this that we're contemplating now. And I think Lewis was referring, of course, to the new creation. The reason why we love so much this life is because sometimes it reflects something of the glory of God, of the glory of the new creation that we will see someday. And when we get there, we, we will say, I understand now. This is what I always look for without knowing. This is where I belong. That will be at the end. Okay, third homily. Meanwhile, between the beginning and the end, we are in this time of ours. Between the beginning and the end, we are in the year 2024. It's been you know, a little bit more than 2,000 years, very short time in God's time. But it is the time in which the church has the mission to spread the good news, to transform the world, and to invite as many as possible to the light of Christ. And the main resource that we have to accomplish our mission is our union with, with the Lord, with the risen Lord. We are united with him. He promised his presence until the end. He said, I will be with, with you until the end of times, until this revelation actually happens before our eyes. It is happening somehow, but until it's completely unfolded. I will be with you always. So Easter is the time to somehow discover that presence, the presence of the risen Lord. It's a time to reconnect with wonder, with the fact that the risen Lord is walking in our midst, with the fact that our life is not just our life, but it's a prelude of something better, something else, and that we already have anticipations of that. So on these Sundays, we are reflecting on Jesus' presence in the sacraments, as you know. And to make things worse, I had to say something about baptism. So I will. But this is not a fourth homily. It's included in the third one. So, you know, through baptism, we are grafted into Jesus. We are connected with him like the vine 
and the branches. So that means that the risen Lord present in our midst is within me. That's where I find him uh, right away. He's also in the Blessed Sacrament. He's also in the church when we are gathering his name. He's also in the Bible. But most of all, he's within me. I am in him, and he is in me through baptism. So it means that the life of the risen Lord somehow runs through my veins, somehow, somehow runs through me. So his love, his joy, his sacrifice is available to me. I have within me, and you have as well, a source of renewal, a connection with the living Jesus Christ. And he begins to make all things new in us as we allow that connection to flourish. And this particularly applies to the word of the gospel today. Because Jesus says today, I give you a new commandment, love one another. As I have loved you, so you also should love one another. And this is how all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So his commandment is that we should love one another as he has loved us, with his love. With that love that I received from him, from within, and in that same way, and with that same resource, I have to turn around and love the ones around me. So how can we do this practically? And this I can share with you. Let's say that you have before you a challenging person in your workplace or in whenever you're interacting, or a difficult situation, and you are aware of your natural response. How would you react if you are let alone, right? Resentment, vengeance, indifference, retaliation, gossip, passive aggression, you name it. We have all these you know, negative resources to defend ourselves and to hit back. OK, we can do that. But then you say, Lord, this is my natural response to this person or to the situation, but you live in me. How do you want to respond to this? How do you want to use my humanity to show your risen presence to this person without words? How can I love this person? No, how can you love this person through me in this situation? And you really ask that question with honesty. It doesn't take long. You just close your eyes. You realize that you are united with him, and you say, OK, I close the door of my way, and I open the door of your way. And then it flows, and then it happens. You have to practice it. It's very easy. It's like a holy exchange. You say, Lord, I give you my ways. You give me yours for this situation. Tomorrow, I do whatever I want. But in this situation, you win now. You can have it your way. And as you do that, the love of God flows through you to the other person. It is amazing. And the good part is that something stays with you. It flows through you, and somehow it transforms you as well. The Lord said, this is the hallmark of Christianity. If you are able to love one another with my love, people will recognize that, will see that. It's the most powerful missionary tool that we have. 
when we are able to say to someone, hey, come and see. And if people see this, they want to stay. Okay. At the end, maybe love is one connection between the three homilies, right? The love that stirred the missionary seal of the apostles and made them pray for people and fast for people and organize communities. The love that will be victorious at the end and the love that we are commanded to practice day by day as we move from one place to the other.